step into the sin bin. This is Penalty Box Radio. Four-time Best Sports Blog winner. With Justin Bradford. Three-time winner for Best Sports Reporter and Commissioner of the SECHC. And Glenn Blackwell. It's time to talk all things hockey in the music city. Penalty Box Radio is on. Smashville's Best Sports Talk. ESPN. 1025 The Game. Welcome to Penalty Box Radio here at ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford here in studio with me. We have Sam Fleming, Jack Woods, Jonah Story, Danielle Donetta, and producer Kenny behind the glass. <gasps> we got a full studio in here today, folks, and our special holiday edition of Penalty Box Radio. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Please, no. None of that. None of that in here. Back-to-back wins for the Natural Predators. One, it looked like they survived. Two... Damn. <laughs> so, t- tale of two games and, and for the Predators in the Empire State. Let's go ahead and roll with it. Uh, in the first game, the New York Rangers, just looking at this, I mean, they got completely outshot, but they won 5-2. Two empty net goals. Uh, the defensemen really showing up there, too, in terms of scoring. R- Roman Yossi, Matias Ekholm, Roman Yossi again, Ryan Ellis, those empty netters from downtown, NBA Jam style, going in there. Uh, Rocco Grimaldi getting rewarded with a lot of his hard work. He's really putting in that work, you can see. And then in the game against the Islanders, just one of those shocking games of the second period. Quick turnaround. Let's stick with the Rangers. And Sam Fleming going to go to you first here. In that Rangers game, did it shock you that they were able to win the game in the way that they were able to play that? Well, after watching them in that almost goal from Panarin where it spun back yeah. out, oh, I thought that that was the good luck charm and changed it. And Matthias Ekholm's dropping the stick or dropping the stick to the referee really summed up how the Preds played that night and still managed to get a win. But I will say four goals by a defense uh, defenseman in that game, which is impressive to see mm-hmm. that we wanted the defense to get back on track offensively. And what a game Ekholm, Ellis, and Yossi played that night. I thought that was one of the best games I've seen him play this season. And, and Jack, looking at this, we can tell now there's been a little bit of an emphasis on shot quality over shot quantity. And we've seen that these previous two games now, because we've seen in the games where they've lost, they've maybe scored two or three goals, but putting up 40 plus shots on net. And it's been a lot on the perimeter. But even in these games, it's a lot of that quality shot, especially in the Islanders game. We saw lots of shot quality. But in these two games, what have you noticed that has been different just in terms of where these Predators are taking their shots from? Well, I mean, they're starting to compress the puck. They're starting to try and get into the dirty areas in between the circles. You saw with Forsberg's power play goal when they cycled the puck back to him. He didn't just take the shot immediately. He sort of skated down. Craig Smith rewarded being in the slot with a fantastic pass from Kyle Turris. Nick Benino, of course, creating that uh, net front presence. Even when shots are coming from the point, there are bodies in front of the net. There are a lot of great chances. Over two games, 48 shots and 13 goals, I'd say, is a pretty dynamic offense. It's uh, they're, they're starting to click on... Uh, what am I trying to say? They're trying to. They're starting to play well, and it's a good time since Victor Arvidsson's coming back pretty soon. Yeah, Victor Arvidsson on this trip right now, skating with the team. They're not trying to rush him, obviously. So skating's a good thing, and traveling with the team and skating is always good instead of just hanging back home and skating by himself. But at least being able to take part in practice is a good sign. And obviously, you don't want to rush him, even if he doesn't return before Christmas. It's still good that he's traveling with the team. That means he's getting closer and closer and trying to put pressure on wherever the injury was <laughs> in terms of skating <laughs> with the team there. But let's let's go ahead and look at this, too, in terms of the, the goaltending situation. Obviously, the storyline right now is that you're seeing a lot more starts out of Yusuf Saros, and he's been doing very, very well of late. And it was funny 
because in yesterday's game against the Islanders, where Pecorine was in net and he lets in his third and the Islanders have a 3-1 lead, you start seeing the put Saros in, put Saros in, put Saros in, and those quickly went away after the Predators made that big comeback. But it's the kind of thing, too, Sam, that we're seeing is that Saros is playing so much better, and we've seen this now two straight seasons, that he's getting more consecutive starts or more consistent starts, and he's playing a much better game, too. Absolutely, and I was a little concerned at the start of the year watching Saros. He really didn't seem to be in his own form that we'd seen in the past, but right now I think UC's played some of the best games in net for the Predators this season. I was at that San Jose game not too long ago in Nashville, and I thought he was phenomenal. But I think it's good for uh, Peter Laviolette and the coaching staff to have this problem of who do you start? Because if Pecorino is playing well and Saros is playing well, you look at the Islanders with Varlamov and Grice, they were like two of the best goalies coming into right. that game. And the Preds pretty much exposed them. <laughs> I think Grice stopped 10 shots on 15 attempts or something like that. It was that. brutal. It was a brutal night. <laughs> brutal. But, but I, I would like to see Saros get to play more of these big games coming up against these rival teams. I think it'd be good for his confidence, but it's mm-hmm. good to see Pekka getting back on track slowly but surely. Well, And we know for sure that we're going to see more of a split goaltending tandem because the Predators still have, what, I think 11 or 12 more back-to-backs this season. Another one coming up next week. Pittsburgh, home and home with Pittsburgh, back-to-back. They're going to finish the series of Pittsburgh in two days <laughs> uh, this season. It's going to be a little crazy to be able to pull that off there, too. But, Jack, let's let's look at this in terms of yesterday's game. What was going through your head when the Islanders took a two-goal lead? And then what was going through your head when the Predators scored their third and answered to take the lead? Well, so Pekka allowed that even-strength goal, the power play goal, and then the, the, shorty. the, the shorty. So it's like, <laughs> damn it. So, um and then they just responded right away, Philip Forsberg, uh, with, on the power play, and then they tie it up, and then they take the lead. At a, and I think Adam Vignet said it best when he said that this Predators team was going to be really frustrating to watch and it just taking us through an emotional roller coaster. Did you say Vignet? Yes. <laughs> Did you mean Vingen? Vingen. <laughs> I, mean, I, I thought he was, he was French. I didn't realize he was that French. I, I thought he was French. I mean, by the he's way, probably, con- he'd probably be, you know, yeah, congratulations. Congratulations him, right? uh, on the marriage, a- Adam Vignier. But, um- <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, first one it happens to. <laughs> but what I kind of saw, what I really fixated on was not the explosion, was Pecorine. They looked like soft goals. And granted, Ryan Ellis makes two um, defensive miscues and creates a two on one, sort of leaving Pekka and Matt Irwin and Roman Yossi have to dry. But still, I just kind of thought to myself, you know, Pecorine should be stopping go stopping those goals. He should. He should. And that's been one of those things and I see it some people saying, you know, the Preds media not paying enough attention to what's really been wrong with this team and blah 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 blah. And we've been saying goaltending has been some of the issues. I mean, there's been a lot of team issues and it's been it's a team game, there's team issues. Goaltending has been one of them, and it's good to see Saros really picking that up here of late uh, as well. And you have different nights, different things going wrong. There's times when you have the third pairing make a big mistake, and then something will go wrong. There's times when you have a big turnover happen, that's something wrong. But overall, the, the consistent issue, especially in November and early part of December, the consistently wrong issue was goaltending in a lot of ways, or Pecorini was letting in some of the low-danger opportunities and stopping high-danger ones, and then you'd flip it for Saros. Right. Now Saros is looking a lot stronger out there, which is great, and if Rene can get back in the rhythm, it's a really good problem to have when you have a 1A, 1B situation instead of having a full starter, especially with, and, and again, I know we, we harped on it, and people say, well, he's not getting that old, da 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 he's been great. 
the more rest that Pecorino has, the better if you're going to ha- have to ride him sometime. But the more experience that Saros has, the better for him if you have to ride him sometime as well. Getting them consistent starts, it doesn't have to be always in a row, but getting them to play games each week is very important for this club to be successful, Jack. Well, I mean, that's that's just it. It's consistency because UC Saros has yet to put out a shutout this year, and yet he still has the better save percentage than UC Saros. And not to harp on them both, but they're both below 900. And given the way that this team is limiting quality chances, uh, they should be playing a lot better. They should be getting more goal support when they are playing well. But all in all, they're just not being as consistent as the Predators like them to be and really need them to be. Yeah, and so looking at the shot chart, the heat map, sorry, for the Islanders game is really impressive because you see hot dots for the one point, and then you see a huge area right in the home zone between the face-off circles, right in front of the crease, where there are three, or sorry, six Gs. So six goals scored in the home zone at five on five, which is really important to be scoring them much on even strength as well. But six of them scored right in that hot box zone right in front of the goaltender, driving to the net. And that's where you're seeing players get rewarded for that as well. Players getting rewarded for going to the net. I mean, Nick Benino. Nick Benino. Elite. elite. Wait, Sam, what has impressed you about Nick Benino so far this season? Even though the numbers haven't always been there to support him. Like last season, we thought, okay, he's, he's going to plateau. This season, he continues to go to the net, and he continues to work for him. I mean, Nick Benino, he knows where to go in the quiet zones, whether it's a good wrist shot or just a rebound. But what impresses me is his work ethic. He's not afraid to get beat around in front of the net. I mean, he'll go hard out in front. And that hat trick he had against the Chicago Blackhawks, that was just hard work out in front. But he's always been that guy that comes around playoff time. And I was like, are they going to move him now that Philip Tomasino is going to be coming into this system? And right after we talk about that, (laughs) he becomes the elite goal scorer that he is. But I think Benino has been my favorite player to watch, just how aggressive he's been. But some of the passes he's made, too, to to set up Grimaldi this season have been impressive. Smith. On the on Smith's first goal, when he's getting like shoved into the oh, ice, he yeah. just still still gets it to the slot. But <laughs> Sam said it best: Rocco Grimaldi and Nick Benino have been the best one-two punch for the Predators. They really have in this offense. I think I, I haven't looked at it recently, but almost all of the times that Benino has assist or Grimaldi has assisted Benino, it's been a primary assist. Yeah, no, it really has, and a lot of times it's not even really a pass from Grimaldi. It's more of a <laughs> shot on net, yeah. and, he, and Benino's picked up the trash, which is great. I mean, it means you're going to the right place. You're going to the net, and speaking of Smith, first goal since November 7th. Thank God. Finally, and he gets two, and so everybody's going, Smith, Hattie, come on! And he, and he was trying, <laughs> hey. and then he takes a misconduct at the end because of what was happening with Mayfield. They basically, the referees were just, okay, whatever, you both guys go sit down. It's like, what did Smith do to deserve that? You're both wrong. Yeah. You're both wrong. Yeah. Gordy Howe had he. He had a, two goals, an right. assist, and a misconduct. <laughs> misconduct. But Count I, I want to say before we switch that the one thing the Preds did a really good job of is shutting down Matt Barzell last night. Yeah, they did. Bar- Barzell's such a good player to watch. 18, 18 minutes of total ice, one shot on goal, and a minus yeah. two. I mean, that's somebody that's a lethal score anywhere around the ice, and the defense did a really good job shutting down their star players. Absolutely did. And I do want to mention this because I don't want to get called out on it either, is Ryan Ellis, the the elbowing in the Rangers game, and people are starting to say, well, why didn't he get a call? Why didn't he get a call? I think it was very similar to the Cernak hit. Mm -hmm. Ryan Ellis should have had more than a two. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it was not intentional, you still have to control your body. And that's what it comes down to. And so before we have to get to the break, I just wanted to address that because I don't want to be labeled a homer on any of that. It's the same thing. Yeah, just the same thing with Johansson with what happened there. 
even if it's not intentionally stuff to be in control of your body, and it should have been more than a two-minute elbowing uh, for that right there, too. And does that mean he should have been fine? He probably should have, just like Cernak should have been fine for what happened with, with his hit on Carr. So a lot of these things in terms of consistency that we always look at, we want them to be consistent. If we're going to look at this, you cannot look at it through gold-colored glasses. You have to be consistent that even if a player of the team that you support goes out there and does something stupid or wrong, they need to be paying the consequences as well because that's what we want in this league is for safety. Elbows to the head, not safe. So I, I do think there should have been a little bit more there on Ryan Ellis. And I, I know a homer's going to be like, no, no, he shouldn't. They didn't do this for this. you got to start somewhere. you got to start somewhere. And if, if you're going to do it, you got to do it right. Anyways, it's really cold. We had, we had some flurries <laughs> the other day. You know, we're, we're all looking for – it's the holiday season right now. We're almost into the new year. But if it's really cold, you're probably wanting to think warm thoughts and plan for a vacation in the summer. Justin, where would – a penalty box radio fan want to go for the summer. You know, hockey fans in general, you know, we're taking a big cruise, penalty box radio, ships and trips travel, and Royal Caribbean July 12th to 19th for a hockey fan cruise aboard the Liberty of the Seas. Sailing out of Galveston, Texas, destinations include Cozumel, Costamay, and Roatan, Honduras. And the purpose of the cruise is for Preds fans to enjoy some fun camaraderie during the off season. We're also going to have an opportunity to support the National Predators Foundation, take a vacation, raise money for a good cause, and have private ice rentals on the ship. Yes, they have an ice rink on the ship. We have three private rentals for ice skating. We have cocktail parties, trivia nights, chuck-a-puck, everything that you want to do on a vacation. So you can book now at HockeyFanCruise.com. That's HockeyFanCruise.com for more information on the Penalty Box Radio, Ships and Ships Travel, and Royal Caribbean Ship sailing out of Galveston, Texas, July 12th through 19th. All right, up next, Haley Salvian with The Athletic. We're going to preview the Ottawa Senators. Up next, Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 1025, The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford alongside with me is Sam Fleming and Jack Woods in for Glenn Blackwell. She is enjoying some vacation time right now. We also have interns Jonah and Danielle in here and producer Kenny behind the glass. And joining us now from the athletic Haley Salvian, talk Ottawa Senators. Haley, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's dive right into this because this is one of those games that a lot of people in Nashville are considering a trap game, especially because the Ottawa Senators are pretty darn good at home, uh, even though a lot of times there may not be as many players that people are familiar with in the Ottawa Senators right now. So even though the standings might not show it, what are some of those things that the Senators are doing right so far this season? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you kind of mentioned it. They, they're they a team I think maybe some teams take a little bit lightly. Um, you know, they're in the throes of a rebuild right now. I think everybody knows that, even the players and, and everyone in the organization. Um, but, you know, the Ottawa Senators, are, are they're a tough team to play against. They play really hard. Um, they're, you know, usually pretty good in their neutral zone. You know, that's how they beat the Boston Bruins the other day was just by shutting them down through the neutral zone. Uh, when they're playing their system and they're playing their game, they're really good on tracking loose pucks. They're good on the forecheck. Um, they're usually pretty good defensively as well. And, you know, they've had three games here now where it's maybe been a bit of, of a blip on the screen, you know, dropping games, you know, 8-2 and 6-1. Uh, but that that's going to happen in the course of an 82-game season. You're going to have a few games when you're in a rebuild with so many young players that it's maybe not there, but... Um, they're a team that works really, really hard, and they they do their best to make the game really hard for their opponents, and that's something they're doing really well. 
Absolutely. It certainly does seem like that. And you just recently wrote an article on Nick Paul just to, just about his story and his uh, coming to in terms of Ottawa, you know, being cut from camp, things like that. What What is his story and why is he a name that people should be aware of and, and know? Yeah, well, I think when I talk about some of the things that the Ottawa Senators are doing really well, um, those are things that Nick Paul really brings to the table for most of the year. He's been playing on the team's, you know, most dependable shutdown line with who was leading the league in plus minus for a while and, and Connor Brown who came from the Leafs and uh, you know Nick Paul is an interesting story and that's kind of why I wrote on him I mean he three months ago he was kind of sitting in the office of the American League's uh, coach's office and he was kind of thinking you know I've been up and down so many times now it's been it's, I think it's his fourth or fifth year in the organization now and he's never made the team out of camp he's never really stuck in the NHL and I think mentally it was starting to get to him. Um, you know, he was never someone who was, I think, supposed to be in this situation. He was five foot six, five foot five when he was playing minor midget hockey, where here in Canada, that's when you're drafted to the OHL and the Canadian Hockey League. So that's kind of that first step to making it to the NHL is playing major junior. And he was five foot five in his draft year. So he didn't get drafted. He got discovered the year after by mistake and, it's just kind of been this whirlwind of a few years for him to get to this point. And I think, um, you know, he always struggled to forget that five foot six, five foot five kid who, you know, never had a chance of making it, I think. And, you know, mentally his confidence hasn't been there. And this year he's kind of just flipped the switch in his head and said, you know what, I'm good enough to be here. You know, if I want to take a guy wide, I don't care if it's Eric Carlson or, you know, say, Roman Yossi, you know, I'm going to go wide and I'm going to take it to him. Um, and that's just a big mental thing that he's changed this year. And he's already had, uh, he's already put up clear numbers. He's already playing on that shutdown line, like I said. Uh, and I think he's going to be an important player for the Ottawa Senators moving forward in their future. He's just really, really dependable. He might not be a guy that's going to score 50 goals, but he's going to be someone that opposing teams are going to know. Haley, this is Sam talking to you now. Um, I know the Senators have been through a lot of changes, uh, trading away Eric Carlson to the Sharks, Mark Stone to the Golden Knights, and then Duchesne and Dezingle to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now they've gone away from Columbus. Uh, but one of those players that was in a trade in that Columbus trade was Anthony Duclair, who's been a journeyman already in his young career at just 24 years of age. But he's been mm-hmm. on fire so far for the Senators this season. 19 goals in 35 games and 9 in the month of December. What has allowed Anthony Duclair to really fit into this team system so well? And could this be a name that's an all-star player for the Senators for years to come? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the first thing is opportunity. I think on the Senators team, there's more opportunity for Duclair to play his game. He's such a fast an incredibly fast skater, a fast player. Um, and the Ottawa Senators recognize that right away, and they put him on the penalty kill, and he already has a couple of shorthanded goals. He's huge on the penalty kill for Ottawa, and you know he hasn't played on the PK since he was in major junior hockey in Quebec. Um, so that's one thing that's kind of elevated his game. And, and I think, too, it's just, you know, the Senators are rebuilding. DJ Smith is, uh, he's, he likes defensive structure, um, but he's big on the neutral zone, and he's big on guys using their speed um, to get pucks in deep. It sounds so cliche, but the Senators really do play, you know, get pucks in deep, be hard on the forecheck, um, and get those loose pucks first. And with a guy like Anthony, who has such speed like that, he's been really able to capitalize 
on so many of those neutral zone opportunities, odd man rushes. Um, and I think, too, just with Ottawa, I mean, if you look at maybe some of the structures of teams before, you know, the Columbus Blue Jackets and John Tortorella, he coaches such a strict defensive structured game, and he's a really strict coach. So for Duclair, you make a mistake when you find yourself on the bench, whereas on a rebuilding team with so many young players who, you know, the sign of success at the end of the year for the Senators isn't wins and losses. It's, okay, who took a step forward? Um, who's looking good for the organization, you know, two, three years in the future? So if Anthony Duclair t- turns a puck over, um, on the Ottawa Senators, he's not getting benched. They're saying, maybe don't do that again or maybe do something different, but he's getting put over the boards again. Um, so I think that's given him the confidence. He sees that the coaches believe in him, um, and it's just given him the confidence and the opportunity to have this offensive production that he's having. Um, and I definitely, he's an RFA at the end of the season. I think, you know, it's one season of scoring a lot. I think he's on pace for almost 40 goals right now. Um, I think the Senators will probably um, give him a give him an offer, but then go to ar- arbitration, I would assume, and then see if he can do it again before giving him, you know, a long-term big deal. I think you've got to see if Anthony Duclair can do this more than just once before you sign him to a big deal for the future. But I think if he continues to play this way, if he does it again next year, I think he could be a really important piece. So this is, once again, this is Haley Salvian of The Athletic covering the Ottawa Senators. Jack Woods here. Uh, as you just mentioned, Anthony Duclair is just setting the world on fire in Ottawa, and John Gabriel Pajot is also playing uh, very well. Is there a player on the Senators that really need, that this, that they could use more production from? Yeah, I think um, Colin White's a little bit, uh, he's in a sophomore slump right now, I think. You know, last season, at this point in the year, I believe, you know, through 27 games. So he had a groin injury, so he missed some time. Um, But through 27 games this year, he only has two goals and seven points. Through 27 last year, he had 14 goals and 41. Or sorry, that was his final total. Through 27 games last season, he had seven goals and 16 points. Right now he only has two. He hasn't scored uh, since November 11th. So it's been over a month since Colin White scored. And, and they just signed him to a big six-year, uh, I believe, $4.75 million contract in the summer. So uh, he's someone that they want to get going. But that being said, he's, he's only 22 years old. He's got some time to figure it out. And, you know, in this rebuild, that's kind of what they're trying to do is get guys going. And they've shifted him over to the wing for now to maybe take some of those defensive responsibilities away from him at the center position. Uh, but I think there's one guy the Senators probably want to get going. It's Colin White. And Haley, Justin here again. And before we have to let you go, it's just always great to hear background and stories because we have a lot of young journalists that, that are part of the show and that listen to the show just to get some perspective on things. And you're with The Athletic now, but you've also spent time with the Oshawa Generals and junior hockey and the CBC. What is What got you into hockey? You wanted to be a hockey journalist, and what was kind of your path to where you are right now? Yeah, um, I know. I feel like I ramble so much and it's hard to spark notes it down. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it kind of, I got into it just as a kid. You know, I always, I grew up watching Hockey Night in Canada, Coach's Corner. It's an institution here in Canada. Um, so that's what really sparked my interest initially. And uh, I think, I just remember the first hockey game I ever passionately cared about was the 2005 Memorial Cup, which is the big junior hockey final here. And it was, uh, Corey Perry's London Knights and Sidney Crosby's Ramuski Oceanic. And I just remember being so 
um, into that game, and I really latched on to Crosby naturally. So I grew up as a Penguins fan, and I used to go down to Pittsburgh all the time as a kid. Um, so I think that's kind of what got me into it. And I've always just been big on, you know, I don't want my job to really feel like work. So I just knew how passionate I was about hockey, and I knew I wanted to try to make a career of it. And as you can tell, I talk a lot, so I figured journalism <laughs> was a good way into that. Uh, so I did some internships. I uh, actually interned in London, and I covered the London Knights' second Memorial Cup run in 2015-16. Uh, so that would have been Mitch Marner, Matthew Kachuk, mm-hmm. Christian Dvorak, all those guys. And that was my first big sports job. And, yeah, I worked at CBC, but I worked in news. Um, so if there's a, any advice to young journalists, just take every opportunity you can. Um, you know, my first year and a half in the industry, I was news producing and news writing and doing local six o'clock news television, which is not sports, but it's a job in the mm-hmm. industry. Uh, and it ultimately led me here to the athletics. So um, I just took every opportunity I got. I've moved to three different cities now um, where the opportunities and jobs are. And uh, yeah, I started at CBC and then I got uh, offered this job at The Athletic, and, and now I'm here covering the Ottawa Senators. So it's been a very quick. Um, there's been a lot going on in these three, two and a half, three years since I graduated university, but uh, I'm very grateful for all the opportunities I've gotten. No, absolutely, and we appreciate that insight. It makes me wonder, too, if you might have been there when I was there because I went up to London when uh, Domi and Marner were playing a game. They went up there to cover a game because we wanted to experience some junior hockey, so always oh. small world stuff. But, yeah, we love junior hockey here at Penalty Box Area, that's for sure. Uh, but, oh, that's great. Yeah, Haley, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate the insight and uh, looking forward to the game tomorrow night. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. Absolutely, folks. That is Haley Salvian of The Athletic, covers the Ottawa Senators. You can follow her on Twitter at Haley underscore Salvian. Okay, up next, dumb things said on Star's Facebook and some question and answer time from Twitter before we get to a live reading of the Golden Girls Night Before Christmas. All up next here on Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 102.5 The Game. Welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN One Two Five. The game. Justin Bradford with you. We have Danielle and Jonah joining us now for this third segment, where I have a few dumb things. And now usually we focused on dumb things found on Preds Facebook because I love to burn the dumb locals, but and I love to burn the dumb Blues fans and I love to burn the dumb Penguins fans before. And people are like, why are you making fun of these fans? I'm like I make fun of Preds fans more than I make fun of opposing teams fans. So it's about time, right? So with the Dallas Stars posting a lot of things in their Facebook leading up to the Winter Classic, I was like, let's take a look at some of the dumb things on Stars Facebook. Now, keep in mind, this Winter Classic has been announced for, what, nine, ten months now? A very long time. A very long time. And there have been stadium series games outside in Southern California, right? There have been games in Vegas outside. There have been games outside all over the place, it really seems. So I'm just prefacing. All this. So we've had this announcement for a long time, right? So dumb thing found on Stars Facebook. What day and time is the Winter Classic? You know, I think it's in Vegas <laughs> at 7 at night. So you should really book your plane ticket now. Get a head start, so, even though it's in two weeks. You so know. They, they did have the stadium series in Southern California, right? And it's been, I think, in the 60s or 50s or something. I'm no expert, but this can't be the weather they're hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> 
good one, Kenny. Then this is a Stars fan, okay? A Stars fan wrote this. This game should have been played in Minnesota where they originally came from. Are you really a Stars fan? Well, the Wild have their own... The, Minnesota has their own team. They're called the Wild, right? Exactly. Right? Okay. Let's see. <laughs> I hope it's a success and not a huge fail. I don't think the Winter Classic should ever be in Texas to begin with, but I'll take it. Again, a Stars fan. Also, this is going to be the second most attended Winter Classic in history. I mean, if I'm not incorrect, <laughs> aren't there supposed to be over 80,000 people there? Over 80,000. Yeah. They keep having to open up sections that weren't previously open. Unsuccessful. Call Unsuccessful. it off right now. Cancel your flights. It's over. <laughs> And the amount of people that continue to comment of, is it going to be too warm? How is it going to have ice? Folks, oh my God. They've gone over this how many times? It's called science. Yes, it no. is. It is. It is science. Okay. Blinded with science. Blinded. Okay. That shows that there are dumb people everywhere. And I'm sure there'll be more. I'm sure there'll be plenty more. Okay, let's get to our questions, Danielle and Jonah. So, if for those of you that don't know, in Dallas, they obviously have Whataburger and In-N-Out. So this question comes from Gump and Chase. Hockey aside, what are you looking forward to most about visiting Dallas, and why is it Whataburger or In-N-Out? So, Danielle, what are your thoughts on this? You haven't had either before, right? I haven't had either. I've always wanted to go to California just to try In-N-Out. So In-N-Out is my number one priority. I'm a big burger girl, so I'm excited for that. But Whataburger, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> dang it, Danielle, there I go again. I'm a big burger girl. <laughs> Every time you go to a restaurant with me, that's what I order. Okay. So both. <laughs> Thank you, Kenny. Oh, man. Jonah, what you got? Well, I'm a big burger guy. Um, <laughs> you got some advice, though, about Whataburger, right? I do have some advice about Whataburger. I've never been to In-N-Out, but I follow all kinds of food pages on Instagram, <laughs> and I see In-N-Out what burgers, a and I want one. But I'm going to be honest with you guys. If you're a mayo-on-your-burger type of guy, do not do it at Whataburger. All right. Let me tell you why. Whataburgers are cooked in mustard itself. So as soon as you bite into the patty, they taste like mustard. Okay. Wait, where what? Is, Hold where, on. Wait, where is this going? <laughs> this is radio. What are you, what are you doing here? Hold on, they, hold really, on. they really do taste like mustard. Kenny's Googling this They're right now. In mustard. <laughs> you got to hit that real fast. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're talking like Danny Glover over here really slow. You got to get to the point. <laughs> they, they really are cooked in mustard, though. Okay. But but don't get mayo is what you're saying. Do not get mayo on it because as soon as you bite it, especially I go with the combo of ketchup, mayo, pickle, and okay. I had the combo of ketchup, mustard, and pickle due to the fact that they are cooked in mustard. And when I tasted it, I was like, that's whack. There we have Jonah's thoughts. <laughs> this one, oh, God. This one's from Real Kimi Kao. Uh, <laughs> although there's still a lot of hockey left to be played in the event the Preds do not make a playoff spot, would you anticipate Poyle trading a current player to help bolster the odds of a top five pick? Uh, Tolvin and Smith, Glenland, or Turris? Uh, what's going to happen there? So I don't foresee you trading a guy like Mikael Glenland in the offseason because he's going to be a free agent anyway. Same thing with Smith. Their trade value would be at the at their most right before the trade deadline and then fall off. Turris, if he has a good rest of the season, could be up there. Tolvanen, I think, still has trade value right now because he's finally picked it up in the AHL with the way that's going. I don't think it's going to be one of those things where they're going to want to make major trades. If they if they do not make a playoff spot, then it's more of a thing. You're probably looking at more of a coaching change, maybe not even head coach, but assistant coaching wipe through when it comes to something like that. We know David Poyle is not one for making drastic changes uh, without having you know a lot of things to do with that as well. So I don't think you're going to see major shakeups or anything like that. Danielle, anything to add? 
I agree. The Preds only have about $13 million in cap space, so they can't afford to do another blockbuster deal. They can't bring in any big names. And looking at the guys, like you just said, there's not a lot of trade value there. So you're not going to get a lot for what you're giving out. And plus, if there's still an issue when you get to offseason, if they don't make the playoffs or there's another early exit, you probably want to look higher than just you know some fourth line and third line plugs. All right. So, Joan, I'm going to ask this question. I want you to think while I'm answering it. Okay, think of your answer for this one. This is from Yellow Five. If the Predators were Santa's reindeer, which player would they be? Okay. So, <laughs> in terms of, <laughs> I'm trying to think of an answer. Are you? What are you? What are you looking up? The eight reindeer? Oh, I have Jonah. An answer for this. Jonah, it's as bad as Danielle last week with with Yoda. You got this, bro. Come this on, bro. This is your bro. baby Yoda. You got Come on. this, bro. He's, you're, th- you're singing the song in your head right now, aren't you? <laughs> Dasher and dancer and. Prancer and Vixen. And Vixen. Okay. Donner and Cupid and Donner and Blixen. You said Donner twice, but that's oh. okay. <laughs> well, Danielle, okay. you have an answer? No, so, I do have an answer. Okay. For Dancer and Vixen, I would go with Ryan Johansson. And no, he's not a pred, but PK Subban. I mean, look at the little booty bump. The booty, bump, the booty bump, The booty bump. And you see Soros. He's like, of all the preds, I feel like he would be Rudolph. Just because everybody loves UC Soros. He's hard to hate. How do you hate him? And Roman Yossi's Cupid, just because. Look oh, at him. Of course. 14-year-old me is very glad that you just said that. <laughs> Jonah, do you have an answer? Do we have to move on, buddy? I have an answer okay. for Rudolph. Okay, go Not for all it. of them. I love how he said that with a question mark like Ron Burgundy. I have an answer? All right. <laughs> My Predators Rudolph would have to be Nick Benino. Okay. He is the light of the team. He is elite, and he is one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. And then, and he's got something shiny. Is his yes. head shiny? Shiny. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's get to Kenny is honest tonight. Yeah, he really is. Okay. One more. This is an actual hockey question here. This is from Evan. What does this team do when RV and Glenland are healthy? Yak and Blackwell have visually upped the tempo on this team, which, yeah, you can see that in terms of the way they did the lineup last night, and have added much-needed physicality to the mix. I feel like we're going to have to move someone for a top-force defenseman. Who will it be? So, very interesting question here, because I kind of did like, well, actually, I really did like what Peter Laviolette did with the lines last night, and we're just so used to the line blender when it comes to this team right now, but I like what he did because you're going up against such a stingy team in the Islanders that you had physical force on every line, and those lines rolled because you had somebody that's a little bit more physical and willing to sacrifice their body on every single line. And you also had a playmaker, and you had a guy that could shoot. It seemed like on every single line, and I really did like that. So it's going to be interesting when they're healthy uh, what's going to happen there, too. And I would think the trade market is wide open for the Predators right now in terms of whether they could add, subtract, or do something there to try to bolster this line because they're still... In the playoff chase, obviously. There's still plenty of time left in the season. If they can make this and build off this week right here, going into the Christmas break, and then you have your back-to-backs, you have a lot of Eastern Conference opponents, so you can take some ground on some of these other teams, too. So I obviously want to see RV back in, in the top six. I want to stay, see Tura stay in the top six. I'd like to see one of Yak or Black will stay as an extra forward on this club as well. So you can make lineup decisions, not in the way that you make a tourist lineup decision, but make a lineup decision based on your opponent. I definitely, I see, I love seeing Yakov Chernin getting up there. I was very surprised when the lineup came out last night. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily agree, but after seeing how well he did and the physicality that he brought, I would definitely be willing to keep him just as maybe a fourth or third line plug, just if you need it. Maybe play with Colton Sissons or Austin Watson because he is physical and he has a hard shot and he can get to the zone and create a play if he wants to. So I was definitely impressed with him. And I think that RV will definitely come back in the top six. Like you said, Kyle sure. stays in the top six, but he's 
got a lot of talent that is probably an asset to the team once you get down the road if you keep them around. Yeah, and uh, Jay asked a similar question and asked me, is that, aren't you impressed it's not a Freddie G question? Yes, because Freddie G's not coming up unless no. there's some major sicknesses no. or injuries or something like that. Okay, up next we're going to talk holiday traditions because it's our holiday episode, and I'm going to have, in honor and memory of Big Ben, a live reading of the Golden Girls, Twas the Night Before Christmas. That's all up next here on Pelletier Box Radio, ESPN 102.5 The Game. Welcome back to Penalty Box here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford along with Danielle, Jonah, Jack, and Sam. Producer Kenny, the tunes behind the glass. We're going to put them to work in this segment. <laughs> yes, Lord. <laughs> well, this is our special... I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. This is our special holiday edition of Penalty Box Radio as... The holidays really ramp up next week, Christmas, Hanukkah, I mean, followed by New Year. I mean, big things coming up here. So I wanted to ask all the folks out there with uh, with Penalty Box Radio 1. Uh-oh. <laughs> yes, Lord. <laughs> Talk about our favorite holiday traditions and memories. So, Joan, I want to start with you because it's one of those things that um, you're young. What's your favorite holiday memory or tradition that you got? All right, I have a tradition and I have a memory. I'm going to start off with the with the tradition, y'all. Is it mustard? No. Okay, go for it. My holiday tradition, everybody pulls up at our house, and we have a great b- feast of breakfast. Everything you could want, hash brown casserole. There's like three different kinds of casserole. And then you got some good old breakfast casserole, real good. But I got a memory. I'll never forget, I wanted moon shoes. I'm not sure if y'all know what moon shoes are, but they these shoes that when they go on your feet, you hop. And you think that you're going to go sky high. You think that you don't even need the trampoline anymore. No. When I got these things, reality set in. I put my feet in them. Oh, you got them. Okay. And I hopped. And I did not go that high. I was like, what's the point of these? I'm not jumping high. What's going on? I still need to have my trampoline. These moon shoes, you don't take me to the moon. In the words of Travis Scott, you don't take me to the moon. Oh well, Merry gosh. Christmas and Happy Hanukkah. Man, that's disappointing, man. <laughs> I want some casserole, though. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> All right, well, so some Danielle, of my what you got? favorite traditions and memories... So, in my family, my aunt's birthday is on Christmas. So, we never really celebrate Christmas on Christmas. We always do it on Christmas Eve. And when I was a kid, we would always go get pizza because we would load ourselves with pizza. So, the kids would leave the house, and then my mom and my aunt, they would all put the presents under the tree, and Santa Claus would come. So, I just remember faint memories of me as a child running around with pizza in my mouth, screaming, Santa came early to me because I'm important. And that is my holiday tradition. Do you, do you still run around doing that? No. I just sit and eat my pizza because I lost that energy and now I We're don't gonna, have abs anymore. So. We need to reenact that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kenny. All right. Sam, what you got, buddy? Well, for me, it's just all about being with my family, um, reading the Christmas story and uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas and having a lasagna for uh, dinner go. on Christmas Eve. 
But nothing beats National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation oh, man, yeah. on Christmas Watch Eve. Watch your language. Well, <laughs> yes. <yeah>. Yes. <laughs> Seeing Clark Griswold in his double zero Chicago Blackhawks jersey <laughs> and Cousin Eddie saying, well, don't you be getting comfortable with it now because we're taking it with us when we leave next month. <laughs> But that's just the best Christmas movie you can watch. But being with the family, for me, has always been something I love and um, very thankful for. Love it. Just watched that uh, the other night, and I have my moose mug out on our table, ready to roll. Jack? So uh, my traditions are more family-oriented. Um, first and foremost, my mom makes this wonderful red and green spaghetti where she has uh, tomato sauce and pesto, and it's actually a very good combination. And my dad, like Sam, reads the night before Christmas. And But my two favorite traditions, and they both come uh, with my dad, we watch Batman the Animated Series Christmas with the Joker, oh, which is yeah. uh, one of the best episodes in that series. And then uh, for all the old people out there who remember when David Letterman <laughs> was the uh, host of The Late Show uh, with David Letterman, he always brought on Jay Thomas, and he told the best story, the Lone Ranger story, and he tells it every Christmas, and they always throw a football at the top of a Christmas tree. And I just wanted to say, Jonah, thank you so much for the uh, mustard burgers segment because I thought I was going to get blasted for uh, mispronouncing Vingan's name. So thank you for that one. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. You are welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. All right, before we get to the story, I'll, I'll tell mine. This is more of a favorite memory. And for me, it's because of how much energy my dad and uncle would put into making sure I still believed in Santa, my, me and my cousins. They would, this is back in the 80s and early 90s, so on a big old 8-millimeter camera, would use small strings and stop motion to create videos late at night, creating Santa magic. In terms of <laughs> opening up the little door, the hatch on the fireplace with a string that, was in, that you couldn't see on camera, and opening it up and having a letter disappear into the chimney to the point of stop motion where they were making things move throughout the living room and pulling cars on a string and making a letter appear like it was written from Santa and everything as well. That it is was amazing. so clever. It was so clever and amazing. That's why I was 12 years old still believe in Santa. It wasn't because I wanted the gifts, because look at the proof! You <laughs> <laughs> would say, well, we got, we got a motion sensor on the camera, and you know, whenever there's motion detected, it'll start recording. And I would believe it because I was a gullible kid, and we didn't have social media back then to investigate stuff. And you see the proof, and I'd even bring it to school, and my friends who didn't believe in Santa anymore would be like, what? Well, look at that. Did you yell Santa like Buddy the Elf does in Elf? <laughs> maybe, maybe once or twice. Maybe once or twice. Well, folks, I want to do this, something special. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Big Ben who's not with us anymore, passed away two years ago, was a huge fan of the Golden Girls. And last year, my friend Chrissy Cooper sent me the book, The Golden Girls, Twas the Night Before Christmas. It is an illustrated book, and I wanted to read that for you to close out our, our holiday episode and wish you all a very safe and happy holiday season, and we appreciate you listening, and we appreciate you so much for always tuning in with us and supporting us, and I wanted to read this because it is a funny story. So the Golden Girls, Twas the Night Before Christmas, by Francesco Sedita and Douglas Yaka. Twas the night before Christmas, and on Richmond Street, three girls decked the halls, and they made each room neat. Their children and siblings would soon be there. Ma finished her famous lasagna with care. <laughs> but a storm was a-coming, a hurricane nigh. The planes heading in were unable to fly. 
Outside, the wind howled. A tree snapped a branch. Rose looked up in alarm. Holy cow, where's Blanche? Across town, the men whooped and they whistled to thank her as Blanche jingled her bells at the old rusty anchor. While Ma in her sweatshirt and Dorothy in a vest had just settled down for a much-needed rest, Rose, snug with her teddy bear, laid down her head while visions of St. Olaf danced in her head. All at once through the rain came a curious sight, a round silhouette in full moon's pale light. And from the porch came the voice of a man. The girls winced as they heard him say, Hi, it's me, Stan. He was dressed up like Santa, but ragged and droopy. He lost all his money on fake reindeer poopy. His tale of woe made dear Rose start to cry, while Dorothy grimaced and gave the side eye. After years spent with Stanley, she knew in a flash the only holiday gift that he wanted was cash. Sophia cut in with a long-winded story. Picture it, Sicily, the year 1940. Something about a goat, linguini, and theft. Whatever it meant, it worked. Stan quickly left. A moment later, whirled through the front door was Blanche. She was wet, she was cold, she was dressed like a elf. Rose explained that their family simply couldn't get there. It's just rain, Blanche lamented. How rude, I declare. So into the kitchen, the four girls paraded. Feeling down and depressed, the fridge quickly was raided. There were cookies and ice cream, hot cocoa to make, a salami or two, and three types of cheesecake. For hours, the girls talked, and they laughed and they shared. It's likely a few flashback episodes aired. Then suddenly, like a true holiday spell, the girls realized they were all family as well. You could hear them exclaim as the day came to an end, Merry Christmas, and thank you for being a friend. From all of us at Penalty Box Radio, wish you a very happy holiday, a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, and we'll be with you next week after Christmas. For producer Kenny, for interns Jonah and Danielle and Sam and Jack, thank you so much for tuning in. If you missed anything, PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Have a wonderful holiday season. Thanks for tuning in to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game.